Welcome to the Emerge Thriving Podcast, wellness designed for real life. In these conversations, we focus on topics that impact our everyday lives. Forgiveness, self-worth, resiliency, embracing self-care, the power of nutrition, and so much more. Life isn't always easy, but together we can take steps towards a thriving life. Today we're talking about balancing tech and social media, setting boundaries, and cultivating healthy mindsets. Dr. Tara Egan, therapist, parent coach, and creator of the podcast, One Day You'll Thank Me, is joining us to share perspective, insights, and techniques that will help us create and sustain a healthy relationship with technology as a family. Thank you for joining us, Tara. We're so glad to have you. Before we get started, please feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here today. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I originally um, was trained as a school psychologist and I worked in public schools. And about 10 years ago, I decided to switch from the public school setting to private practice. And so I got additional training in work with families and working with families as a therapist. And I opened up Charlotte Parent Coaching. And that's where I've worked ever since. But as my work has evolved, it turns out that I have spent extensive time working with families on two primary areas. One is helping them manage technology and social media in a really healthy way because we know that technology is such a pull, not just young people, but adults too. And then I also work with families who are going through a separation or divorce. And a lot of times that technology issue comes into play when parents are feeling disconnected in a variety of parenting areas. And so it's often a a topic. I mean, I feel like it's something I talk about, you know, pretty much all day. And then I also have teenagers myself who are wrestling with this and trying to learn how to develop healthy strategies to cope with all the demands on social media, manage virtual learning. It's something I feel really passionate about. I'm so grateful that you're passionate about it because we need it. I just really want to thank you for all that you're doing to help people. It's so important. It gives me a sense of peace to know that there's people like yourself, doing that important work that we can lean on or tap into your knowledge and expertise to navigate these challenges. And at this point, it's abundantly clear that technology is here to stay. So speaking for myself, I grew up before the internet had taken off. It was still brand new when I was in my teens. And even as a young adult, I remember vividly network servers being installed in corporate offices and how people were talking about websites. They were the new way of showcasing your business. But the concern was, are people active online? Can they remember my business name or my website address? That was the conversation around internet. And now here we are. So much has changed in a relatively short span of time. And our conversation with you really is, what does this mean for parents who are raising kids in this COVID era where technology is deeply integrated in our way of life? And it may even be the only social outlet for our kids. This is just why I'm so grateful that you're joining us and your commitment and passion to helping families navigate these challenges. And so much more is just really appreciated, especially right now. So diving right in, for many people, COVID's played a significant role in the need to be online more than before. Many kids are returning to school virtually and socializing primarily online, which may result in their developing a more intense connection to technology. So 
the question really as we get started is, what are some of your foundational thoughts regarding the situation we find ourselves in today? Well, I think that I am very aware that kids and parents are very dependent on technology. So it's not certainly just kids in the in teens who are doing it, but the reality is we can't remove technology. We just have to figure out how to use it in a way where it meets our needs and then also enjoy the entertainment aspects without sort of losing ourselves. And during COVID where there's a lot of extracurricular activities that are on pause, obviously in-person connections and the ability to socialize in public, that's limited right now. Parents are very reliant on technology usage to maintain their work obligations. So there's not even like, oh, well, I'll just role model it better because the fact is this is how we work now. And we see that kids are connecting with peers, not just through technology like FaceTime, but they're actively gaming with each other. They're um, on social media, commenting, sharing photos, gossiping, like all the stuff that teenagers often get to do in person. Now they're trying to meet those needs online, which is really difficult. Part of it is making sure that both parents and kids are aware that these technological devices are designed to pull us in, right? I mean, they, they contribute to that dopamine release where it feels exciting, it feels fulfilling. And conversely, when we're not using technology, we can feel very impatient, have low frustration tolerance, have a sense of boredom and restlessness. And so some of that is really making sure that everybody involved is aware of what it, what's happening to our bodies and our brains. Because if we don't have the initial awareness, how can we shape our routines so that we can be really healthy with it? So, and, and also recognizing the role that a lack of sleep is playing. It's really, we as parents, I hear parents say all the time, like, this is their only contact with their friends. Like, I just can't take it away. It feels so mean. But then I remind them, like, your friends, your kids and their friends don't need to be connected 24 hours a day. Like, that's not what makes a good friendship is constant access. What makes a good friendship is quality interactions, showing empathy, following up with whatever you, a need your friend has, making sure you express your needs appropriately. Those, you don't need 24 hours a day to do that. Your child is not going to be harmed if they're not on the midnight chat on Snapchat where kids are sending pictures back and forth of each other and everybody's wearing pajamas and, you know, we're in the quiet part of their house where maybe some decision-making isn't super great. So some of that is I recognize, like, it's important to provide access to your kids. It's important for your kids to have socialization. However, we as parents, we want to help them define it so that they socialize in a meaningful way versus just like a lot of quantity. I really appreciate that you're doing that and that you say that because, you know, as an adult and looking back on some of the things I've had to learn, codependency is something I had to unlearn. And I can just listening to you talk, I can think, man, if that was me and I had had constant access to my friends and being in a, in a place where I really felt isolated, I could become very codependent or really needing that friend to reassure me as a way of kind of creating equilibrium in my life. And I like what you're doing because you're helping parents and kids build tools and coping mechanisms. What are some other ways that are healthy for us to respond to these feelings, the way that we're feeling and 
and what's happening? What are some other ways of creating connection or expressing ourselves or being engaged with our time differently? Because it can feel so instinctually drawn to devices and technology as a way of kind of feeling the air time, feeling the space and the silence. And so I really appreciate that. Technology is not always something we have to lean on. And we do need those coping skills and mechanisms that are free of technology. You know, how do we sit well with just ourselves in the silence? That leads to the ability to meditate, to be alone and not feel so dependent on being in a relationship mm-hmm. you know, as we go through the rest of our life. So I really appreciate you sharing that and setting that foundation Um, And bring that awareness to people. Well, I think having kids conscious of what they're feeling when they're using technology and when they're not using technology. So you mentioned codependency. And I think that was a really important term because what can happen is we can undermine our kids' ability to feel competent in other situations. We can make them feel despairing or like helpless or hopeless when they're bored. If they get grounded from their Xbox and they don't have, they're grounded from their Xbox and then they're not going to connect with that particular friend that day, sometimes it doesn't even occur to them to just send that kid a text and be like, hey, man, I, I can't use my Xbox today. I got in trouble. I'll check in with you tomorrow. Or, hey, can we FaceTime instead? We have it where kids don't have faith in themselves anymore that they can entertain themselves or that they'll be okay if they miss out on an online social event. They struggle with feeling like they can fall asleep without like the TV on or music playing. They start to show signs of stress if they don't have access to some of their social media accounts. And that's really stressful to be in that situation where it feels like nothing's right if you don't have that cell phone in your hand. So I tell my kids, you know, like, hey, you might need to practice being bored today. You can be bored and literally just be bored and think, wow, this is terrible. I feel bored. Or you can say, I feel bored. So what are some alternate things that I could be doing? And sometimes, you know, I'll say, do you want some help structuring your time? Like, not in a mean way, not like I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of chores and that'll show you. But just like, what are something you've been meaning to do? And it might be something that's a little less fun. It might be vacuuming out my car so you can earn a little extra money or Finally, going through all those clothes in your cabinet that you've been meaning to try on and see which ones don't fit anymore. Like your kids might need some coaching to figure out how to occupy their time. And that can be a really helpful role that you have as a parent because we can acknowledge in our kids that they're struggling. Like this is hard. When parents pull technology from kids and they don't recognize that there's actually a feeling of grief and loss that comes. And so they don't do anything to help their kids process the emotion. That ends up to be very stressful for everyone in the house. So now this child might be tantruming. They might be showing depression or symptoms of depression. And the parents are like, what? They have to learn. You know, they can't always have their Xbox or their PS4. But I'm like, they might need a little support for a few days of like, I know this is hard. I know you're having a hard time finding something to do that's as fun as your games. Like it might take a while to reconceptualize your day, but I'm here to help you. I can give you sympathy. I can give you some coaching to help them get through it. That's just so important to that everyone in the conversation and in the situation and in the family feels heard and understood. Even if there's a new boundary to set, 
or a new way that we have to go forward that feels uncomfortable or comes with boredom or pushes what we want for our day, you know, pushes the boundaries of that, even if there's all that growth that has to come with it, that people feel understood. Your child feels understood that this is hard. I mean, that you're there to help them through that hard, but there's a reason why we're doing it. On the same vein, like the fact is when we are confronted on one hand with some sort of mainstream activity, whether it's a chore or doing something for school or an extracurricular activity or just a routine task like taking a shower. And then on the other hand, there's a video game, there's Snapchat, there's FaceTime, whatever it is. YouTube would be another great example. The technology side is always going to be more appealing. So if as a parent, you're waiting for these other things, like, oh, I'm just waiting for them to get mature enough to recognize that school's important and, you know, they need to be a participating member of this household. Like, they're not going to realize that, not because they're bad kids, but because those other things have such a strong pull and they are naturally more fun. So you're not trying to convince your kids that doing your chores or taking a shower or going to baseball practice is necessarily more fun, you're having them recognize that, yeah, you're being asked to do something that's less fun. And the more you spend doing technology, the more entitled you feel to always have that dopamine rush, the less like lucky you feel when you have to do other things. You can get into a mode where you feel almost victimized. I've been wronged because I've been asked to clean up the playroom with my little brother instead of continuing to play video games. And so they can get into a modality where they're angry, kind of defiant, they feel entitled, and that's a really tough place to be. And so the sooner you can educate your kids on this and help them develop coping strategies and have them develop like a a problem-solving mindset, great, let's validate emotions, let's talk about how tough this is, But we have to also get to the point where we're going to solve this, right? Like we're going to distract yourself. We're going to put a schedule in place so that you can get your your task done. We're going to talk about what is appropriate for your brain as far as exposure to technology. I tell my kids like, hey, I'm protecting your brain right now. Like I'm sure they roll their eyes, but they understand like I'm not just arbitrarily pulling you away from fun things. Like this is a mindful parenting decision that I know you understand my rationale, even if you don't love it. That segues perfectly into this next question, which is what are the impacts of excessive technology use on their physical, socio-emotional and cognitive development? And then can you also provide distinctions between excessive or too much tech use and an actual addiction or dependency? So those are two separate questions. So I want to just take a minute and acknowledge both. The first question that you mentioned about the impact of excessive technology usage on physical, socio-emotional, and cognitive development. So when it comes to physical development, let's talk about, I mentioned it before, kids really struggling with getting the appropriate amount of sleep. And it could come from them actually being on devices in the middle of the night, or it can be where they're using their devices late enough at night where it interferes with their brain's ability to kind of calm down and get into a place of slumber. Or it can be where kids have the motivation to get up really early because mom and dad are occupied with other kids or sleeping in or getting some work tasks done, and then they can give the, get themselves another extra hour or two 
that can all impact sleep, which of course impacts kids' irritability levels, impacts their appetite, it impacts their frustration tolerance. As far as looking at those physical components, sleep is a really crucial one. Another thing, of course, is the exercise, is that the more time we spend in a stationary position with our face in our phone or in front of a video game, the less likely we are to engage in physical activities. And it could be small activities like literally walking around the house, or it can be bigger things like getting involved in an extracurricular activity like a basketball team or walking the dog. We know that the exercise levels of kids and adults is really declining as we spend more and more time on technology. So those are two physical things that I note. And in line with that is the social-emotional development where if our face is in our phone, then we tend to make less eye contact with other people. We tend to less to have less physical affection. So if my spouse and I are both sitting on the couch and we're both looking at our phones, we're not sharing an activity here. Even if the TV's also on, on a news channel or something that we're interested in talking about, like he's in his space, I'm in mine, my hands are texting or something, we're not, we're not touching, we're not holding hands, we're not making eye contact. And that really impacts our connectedness with our family members. I know there's times like my dog wants me to pet him and he's coming over and nosing around and I'm like, but I'm sending a text. I can't pet you right now. And like, that's kind of a bummer. Or you say to your kids, can you scoot over? I, ha- I need to type on my computer. More and more, we're choosing technology over that connection with our family members. You know, we're using technology during dinner time or we're foregoing dinner time completely to work in front of the eat while we're working in front of our computer or watching TV at the same time. It's impacting our kids' ability to really be developing empathy at the same pace that they would if they didn't have all of these other distractions. And also, we see that kids' attention is declining. I bet you there's some parents out there whose kids love YouTube. They could surf YouTube all day, and maybe they're even looking up great things. Like I have a a client who spends a lot of time looking up the best ways to become like a good fisherman. And he like knows all about the different lures and the different types of fish. Like he's not, he's not looking up pornography. He's looking up how to be a great fisher person. But he's really interested in that. And that's not a silly activity. You know, it's a great, he goes out to the local park and he brings this fishing pole and he knows which lures to use. I mean, that's not silly. What happens with YouTube usage is that kids are flicking from one video to the next, to the next, to the next. So then you're like, hey, let's sit down together for family movie night. Let's watch this movie. It's an hour and a half. There's a slow buildup. There's character development. There's a whole emotional undertone to it. And kids are like tapped out in the first eight minutes because they are forgetting how to even engage in longer term plot points, movies, storytelling, all of that. And so I sometimes have to say to parents like, Make your kids watch a movie, like keep them good at that skill so that you can sit down and watch, you know, America's Got Talent and root for all the, the different contestants and do as a family. And it's, it's in front of technology, sure, but it's still something that you're going to discuss. You're going to look at each other. You're going to cheer. You're going to factor in other people's opinion. Like even small things like that is, can really impact kids' ability to interact with others, manage their frustration, have appropriate selective attention, right? We want kids 
to be attentive to things that matter and less attentive to things that don't. It just really impacts kids' thinking ability and their ability to manage themselves. And so those are all developmental impacts we're seeing on kids as they get more and more immersed in technology. And then I also wanted to talk or specifically answer your question about the technology or the screen addictions. So when it comes to symptoms of screen addiction, I'm going to list several here. And then parents who are listening can think about whether or not that might apply to themselves or their children. One of the things is that screen time interferes with daily activities. Okay, so if you think about, and a daily activity could be sleep, it could be getting somewhere on time, it could be having dinner with your family. Screen addictions can result in more time spent with virtual friends than with real life friends. So a lot of times teenagers will become friends with somebody on Instagram or Snapchat that's a friend of a friend, or they might become friends with somebody who plays the same video game they do. And this is a person, they don't know if it's an adult or a kid. They don't know. I mean, they might know that they live in Wisconsin, but this is not a real life person that they're going to see at school or at an extracurricular activity or out in the community. And kids can get really dependent on these friendships where they think of those as being more meaningful than real life connections. Screen time is the main activity that brings happiness. That is something I hear kids say all the time, but this is the thing that makes me happy. And they use that to appeal to the parents of how could you take this from me? How could you limit me? This is the one thing that I like doing. Screens are the primary source of conflict in the home where there's power struggles. Get off your technology to go to bed or come to dinner. You're on it all the time. I'm just trying to talk to you. You like your screen more than me, whatever it is. But we hear a lot of power struggles and conflict. Another characteristic is unsuccessful attempts at reducing screen time. So this is really a marker for me as a clinician. So there's times when kids have this dependency. Parents put some parent protections into place and the kid's screen time is reduced successfully, even if it feels stressful for them. There's other times where kids are going around every single tool that's in place. They're getting really sneaky. They're getting really angry. Maybe they're leaving the house without permission to go tap into somebody else's internet. Maybe they're taking devices from a random, you know, a friend's house where they have an old Kindle laying around and they're doing really extreme behaviors to have access to the internet. That would not be a successful attempt to reduce screen time. Like that would have, that would be very concerning to me. Another characteristic is withdrawal type symptoms of discomfort when deprived of screen time. So we talked about kids who go through like a whole grief cycle and they show depressive symptoms or they threaten to self-harm or they struggle with sleep or they're crying more or they're argumentative and they're begging and negotiating. Those are all things that demonstrate they're really, really struggling from having limited use of technology. These kids get little physical exercise. Their friends and family complain about the time they spend online. They have increased symptoms of anxiety, unhappiness, and isolation. And this could be even when you're not limiting. This could be they're just spending more and more time in their room. They're appearing more fretful. They're appearing more irritable. They're expressing, I don't have any friends or I feel lonely or whatever it is. I mean, those are things we see that's that. It's really common in kids who are using technology too much. They look apathetic. They have lethargy. They appear unmotivated. And then also the last thing I want to note is 
individuals who show signs of screen addiction use it as a self-soothing strategy to distract from negative moods, worries, and boredom. So this is their go-to thing when they're feeling badly. So they, you have a kid and they maybe have a little argument with a parent about getting those assignments done. And before you know it, they're upstairs and they've got their face in their phone and they just can't even deal. Like those are all concerning things that I think there's a lot of parents out there who would say, oh goodness, my kids have a lot of these characteristics. And if that's the case, you know, I want parents to say, all right, this is getting out of hand. It might be time to make some changes in our home. It sounds like boundaries is really important. What would you say to us about creating technology, usage expectations in advance instead of waiting until we're at this point where it's really clearly an issue? What are some of the things that we can do if we're in a situation where we're seeing that could be an issue? How do we get some of those, that some of that structure in place? What does structure like that look like? Well, a lot of it is making sure that in this world of COVID, when so many kids are relying on technology to learn online, that time is prioritized first. Because as much as kids think that they can do technology for hours and hours and hours, we know that it results in a lot of mental fatigue and irritability. During this time of life, you need to make sure that their school tasks are prioritized, that they're following through with the academic demands, and that pleasurable or entertaining technology is permitted after the responsibilities are done. And that's just the reality that has to take place during COVID. Before they would go to school, they'd get a lot done. And even if they had some tasks to do online later on in the evening, at home time, it was more appropriate to think of that as being recreational internet usage versus school-based. But it's just not that way anymore. So if you have a child who's getting up and they want to play video games for two or three hours before they get started on their schoolwork, that's probably backwards. And it's probably going to result in a lot of power struggles with kids. And as you mentioned, the more we can be proactive, the better. So if you've got a kid who's four, five, six years old, you have the opportunity to really put some things in place that have them understand that technology is only used in the context of a really balanced day. So sometimes when I talk about, when parents will say, well, what's the magic amount of time? What's the number of hours? My kid is 12. Like how many hours can they use technology? And I tell them it really needs to put it, be put in context of their day or their week. So if they, let's just say we're talking about a week. So let's say they are on track with all their school assignments. Their school assignments are in. They've been generally cheerful around the house. You know, they went on a walk with you to walk the dog one night. They've been there at dinner and, you know, made eye contact and shared us an anecdote or a funny story they heard. They were outside in the, in the driveway playing basketball. They helped, you know, mom or dad do this chore around the house. Like they're just a participatory member of the world. Having a child who then on a Saturday goes bonkers on video games for even five hours, like in the span of their week, they're fine because they're showing that they have balance. They slept well, they ate well, they contributed to the world. Whereas in another family, you might have a kid who sleeps till three, gets up and is super grouchy, Maybe he'll empty the dishwasher or she'll empty the dishwasher, but she's slamming the dishes while she does it and acts like, you know, you're harming her. You know, at dinner time, she comments that the food is disgusting. 
is just impatient to leave after 10 minutes. Like, is she's invited to do family activities, she has no interest, and she just stays upstairs in her room, like, putting on makeup in the mirror off of YouTube tutorials or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying this is not a participating member of our community or our home. And then they want to do technology for several hours on a weekend. Like, that's not the same situation. For my family life, I have a, a middle school-aged boy, and he understands, first of all, he does have a limit. He has an hour and a half limit. And it is what it is. And if he has an extraordinarily productive day, he might be able to say, hey, can I have a little extra time? You know, I want to do this tournament thing. Absolutely. If he has kind of a lethargic day, then there's certainly not going to be more time because like that's just going to enable that lethargy. That's just going to kind of make you feel more sluggish. So it's not always about the magic number of minutes. It's about making sure that they have all these other connections in their world to moderate usage or moderate the impact that technology has. Sounds like helping them learn how to break patterns and choose better habits and ways about going through the day is really important. So what can we do if our kids are already using technology more than is healthy and they're showing signs that they're emotionally dependent? What can we do from that point? Well, one of the things you can first try is just try helping them fill in their schedule a little bit more. If they have hours and hours to devote to technology, and then you say, hey, I want you to do something different, but there isn't anything that's at their fingertips that they can do, like that's structured enough, then sometimes having them join a certain activity where um, a lot of times teenagers, you know, who are 15 and up, they need to get a job. Because when you're on a schedule at your local grocery store, grocery store for 12, 15 hours a week, like, sure, they probably have their phone in their pocket and maybe they even look at it once in a while. They're not playing video games, learning real life grown up things, you know, customer service or how to interact with a coworker or with a boss. You know, they have something to do. And of course, they get the side effect of earning some money, which is always nice too. So I tell parents, like, find some things that they can do to fill in their schedule because if you're looking for them to drive that, you're going to, everybody's going to feel disappointed. So you might say you're interested in taking piano lessons. You're interested in a cooking class. You're interested in, like I said, getting a job or doing volunteer work or helping grandma in the yard or anything at all, you know, allowing them choice, but having them understand like, we need more hours in the day for you to do stuff because you just walking around aimlessly thinking about how your mom arbitrarily told you you can't use technology after eight o'clock feels super unsatisfying. So that's the first thing is just try to help them fill it in a little bit. You want your kid to be pleasantly busy. The second thing is if that doesn't work or your kid is super resistant to joining anything, that is where a therapist or a parent coach can come in handy. Because the sooner your child investigates kind of the motivation behind their dependence on technology. Not that I mean that they have a mental illness. It needs to be explored and acknowledged that this is something that has taken precedence in their life. And I work with a lot of kids on this issue. And this is actually part of one of the coaching packages I offer families where I do a combination of working with the parents to put in healthy habits, whether it's parent controls, whether it's figuring out the amount of time, giving structure to it, what they can be doing from the parent side. 
But then also part of that coaching is helping kids really discuss it and say, what does that feel like when you are on technology? What does it feel like when you're not? Or do these social interactions truly feel satisfying? Or are you just trying to avoid feeling left out? Let's figure out really what the purpose behind this is. And there's a lot of kids who, when they start to see more balance, feel so much relief because they didn't recognize how much stress they were under from the constant pull. And if parents, you know, it would be great if parents could have that conversation with their kids, but oftentimes you just can't because you're in the parent role. They're looking at you as being the barrier between them and the technology. And so to sit down and say, hey, son or daughter, let's investigate this. Like they're resentful. They don't want to have that discussion. But when they understand that mom or dad is taking this seriously enough to have this objective third party person form a connection with their child to explore these things, oftentimes that makes kids pay more attention to it and be a better listener to some of the strategies. And it can be so, so very helpful. Sounds like helping our kids and maybe even ourselves sometimes to understand what healthy looks like and feels like is really important because it can be kind of the, you're more receptive, aware of the indicators when you're off track. So one of the things I'm thinking of here is how can we help our kids build values and that healthy mindset? from a young age. So you're able to kind of have that healthy communication conversation with them along the way. Well, a lot of it is, you know, speaking about it from a very young age, having them understand like the different aspects of health, you know, the physical health, the exercise, the nutrition, the connection with peers, fostering interests and trying new things. And if that is part of the culture of your home from a very young age, And having them recognize that gaming is fun. Going on YouTube and looking at all these videos is fun. And we can, I can totally appreciate that. Like, we don't have to pretend that's not fun because it totally is fun. To help them understand that a value of your family is to have that connection and interest in a lot of different things. And I even see kids now who are, you know, they're in high school, they've really created a world that revolves around technology, you know, so their main source of entertainment is to be scrolling on TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram. And they're now to the point where they're like, I don't have anything to write down on my college application. Oftentimes they don't have a job. They might not even have their driver's license. They're old enough where tapping into a sport at the age of 15 isn't going to happen, right? Because the sports team are comprised of kids who've been playing since they were really little. They haven't created a world where they feel invested and interested in a bunch of different things. And their world just is revolving around flicking through their phone all day. And now they're starting to pay the price where they just, they don't have a lot of interesting things to talk about. They're not seeing kids in person. I mean, somewhat because of COVID, but also because now their their friendships are primarily online. And they can feel like their purpose is really muted right now. And I never want kids to get to that point. As parents, we need to protect our kids from getting to that point. Early as possible, making sure your kids are informed. Like there is a Netflix documentary out right now um, called The Social Dilemma. It just, it's slow moving. I mean, parents, if you want to sit down with your nine-year-old and watch it, especially your nine-year-old who's used to watching YouTube videos, it's not that type of stimulating 
documentary. However, there's a lot of information in there that talks about how like there's an element of brainwashing when it comes to technology as far as it influences how we think the messages that are put in front of us are carefully curated to tap into our interests and it takes all the parts of our personality feeds into it and makes those parts of our personality even more extreme my kids were really interested when we talked about it conceptually we did watch that show we kind of had to pause and talk about what it was that it was saying And they're used to it. You know, my kids, given the work I do, are used to hearing me say, hey, guys, look at this new thing I learned or look at this resource, keeping them informed. And not every kid has a parent like me who has this knowledge base. But it is really important that even when they turn away, that you say, no, this is your responsibility to understand what you're dealing with here. If you need to take a pause from your Xbox until we can sit down and have this conversation, then that might need to happen. It really sounds like parents could, as much support as they can get, the better. Are there any resources that you recommend, such as apps or programs that can aid parents in protecting and even limiting their children as they interact online? I think that parents should limit what their kids download on their devices and always check it out first. See what the age recommendations are. Read the reviews. There's a great resource called Common Sense Media where you can look up anything from video games to movies to apps and just see what is being said, where the risk factors are, how to use parental controls. And it's really important that you use those from the beginning. A lot of times parents think, well, you know, my kid's only seven. Like they're not interested in porn. And they're not. You're right. But you know what? They're going to come across it because you don't have to be interested in porn to have access to it. And then once they do have access and it taps into that excited part of our brain, it can be something that they could be looking for more and more and more and you don't even realize it. So from the time your child has a device in their hand, there should be parental controls on it. And by that, I mean there should be limits as far as the content your kid is exposed to. So making sure that when you have your, your kid's iPhone, that you use screen time, limit adult websites, limit explicit language, block some websites that could be really inappropriate that your child might be attracted to. And then also have some apps and tools that monitor your kid. So it's not about spying at them. It's, it's about having them very in the know about what it is that, that you're looking at and you're looking for. For example, you might use screen time to limit the content your child is exposed to. But then you might use a program like Our Pact or Bark to monitor the content that they're seeing. So I have Bark on my kids' devices. And one time I got a notice that said my child was being bullied. So I went and looked, and they show a screenshot of the text exchange that led them to think my son was being bullied. And it was a message from my daughter to my son telling him to shut up. You know, and I was like, hey, guys, I just got to notice that big sister is bullying little brother here. You know, and it was a funny moment. And she was like, yeah, he was starting to say something embarrassing about me in front of my friends. So I texted him to shut up. But it really, depending on the filters you use, can be, you can have different sensitivity. You know, having your 16-year-old be exposed to curse words having your seven-year-old be exposed to curse words might be a very different experience. I got a notice this morning 
my daughter was being exposed to sexual content in her email. And so I opened it and she had a Target ad that was advertising bras and panties. Harmless. I like to shop at Target, but it really does alert me to when things could be questionable. I get to review it. Most of the time it's nothing. And then I move on with my day. But if there is something, if there's, you know, talk about self-harm, there's bullying behavior, there's talks of, talk about drugs or alcohol usage, that's something that can be monitored. And then it opens up the opportunity for you have a, to have a conversation with your kids about it. I kind of look at it twofold. One, restricting. Two, monitoring so that you can keep those conversations going. I appreciate that. With technology and the internet being what it is, we leave digital footprints. Mm -hmm. And so if I was growing up and I knew that my parents had a very reasonable family expectations that we were living under, and then they also utilized devices to help ensure that I was on the right track and to just be generally informed, I would start thinking more about what I'm saying and who I'm reaching out to, what this friend I'm talking to, what they're likely to say and where this conversation is likely to lead. It would help me think more critically about my conversation and who I'm interacting with, which I think is really a skill set we want our children to have as they go forward and then in their adult or later teen years and they don't have someone helping them navigate or monitor that and they are able to just speak freely for them to have those kinds of thought processes and skill sets to just stop and take a second, take a beat and think about it. That could be a really important skill to have in life and real life conversations in the day-to-day in the workplace and in relationships and when they're parenting their own children, but just also online. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that kids make better choices knowing that they're being observed, that they're being supervised. And think about it. I mean, as parents, right? Like we're out in the store and our kid does something. We're less likely to scold them in public than we are as if we're at home. I mean, we all make better choices when we feel like we're being supervised. In our world right now, anything you do on technology is. Because look at all the people out there who've written something 10 years ago and now it's coming back to haunt them. And so having kids understand that from the very beginning is doing them a favor. Initially, it might start out by them knowing that you're going to read their texts, you know, at the end of the week or that you're going to be peeking into their social media accounts, whatever it is. But that does cultivate practice for them to be mindful of what they post. Whereas kids who have no oversight and it becomes a free-for-all, really toxic content becomes normal to them. It's normalized. So they don't even have a good gauge of what is appropriate and what isn't. I um do visits in homes sometimes. And I went on a visit, oh, it was probably just a couple months ago. And it was a family with kids who were about third grade. I spent time with the kids, all this stuff. But then we excused ourselves and the adults had a conversation in the kitchen and the, uh, the children went into the family room and were watching YouTube on the big TV. So I come in to say goodbye and I'm like, oh, what are you watching? And they were watching childbirth videos, like full out, not made for TV, basically home videos, babies being born, which I'm super open-minded. I'm a big fan of kids understanding about our body and how it works. But to have second or third graders sitting in a family room, watching it as though they were watching a cartoon, 
no adult oversight, no explanation, no contact seeing somebody in incredible pain, all sorts of stuff like didn't make sense. But when I came into the room and I asked them about it, they weren't like self-conscious or like, maybe we shouldn't be watching it. Like they were like, oh, this is what we're watching. And they had no context for the fact that maybe this wasn't really appropriate for seven and eight-year-olds. Because to them, it was just, you go on YouTube and whatever. I said, oh, how did you get to these videos? And they're like, oh, we looked up horses. And I was like, oh, what were you looking up about horses? Well, we're looking up about horses. And then we saw a video where it was a horse being born. And then it went to people being born and babies being born. And that's how they got there. So looking up horses on YouTube, I would think if I were a seven-year-old, that would be very interesting. But now we're into childbirth videos with no parental oversight. It happens all the time. And the more they're supervised and the more you can help them figure out what's appropriate and what isn't, the more tools they're going to have later on to decide those things by themselves. This is an incredible conversation today, which makes me wonder, considering everything that we've talked about, what are some of the core challenges that parents face? How do they often feel? It sounds like it could feel like a real uphill battle. It can. I think there's times where parents feel that I can't possibly keep up. I I just, there's no way that I'm going to always be one or two steps ahead of my kids and they can feel very like hopeless and helpless about it. And so I encourage parents, there's people like me who have resources and some of them, some families work with me directly or they do one-on-one coaching services and other families just take advantage of the free resources out there where you find one or two trusted resources. Like for me, when I want to investigate a certain app, I mentioned earlier, I go to Common Sense Media. That's a good place for me to, to start. It's a good, you know, well-researched place where I'm not just Googling random stuff, where I feel like I have a resource, I can get some information and then move on with my day. So I really encourage parents out there, you know, if you can find a great resource, I'd like to think that I could be a resource for parents out there. Use it to stay in tune. But also really remembering that if your kids know you're trying, if they know, if you're asking questions, if you're peeking over their shoulder, if you're asking them like, hey, can you show me how Snapchat works? Or you're doing things like, I'll give you an example. My kids both have Instagram. And my I have Instagram for my business, Dr. Tara Egan. And then my kids' Instagrams are attached to mine. So I can flip on my phone between my Instagram and theirs. I can read some of their DMs. I can see what they're looking at. But one thing I do is I go in and I add content that I want them to be exposed to. I don't want my daughter or my son having an Instagram feed that is a whole bunch of superficial, petty stuff. I want my kids to be friends with, by friends, I mean, follow feminists, politicians, well-known authors, philosophers. And so I go in and I add those things or I'll be like, hey, guys, I want you to follow Michelle Obama. She just gave a really great speech. And they know they have to, like, they don't get to argue with me about it. Like, how hard is that? But I am able to help them be exposed to things through their social media versus letting them be the sole decision makers. Because a lot of times you become what you see. So if all you're looking at is a bunch of skinny models who worry about food intake and and fashion and makeup, then that might be where your, your child's interests end up. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think having some well-rounded exposure to different things and activities 
is good for kids. So parents should use their influence like that. They should recognize their role modeling. They should recognize that knowing their kids, knowing they're supervising and that they care is going to go a long way, even if they don't know every nuance in Snapchat. Like it's still gonna be so powerful. So I don't want parents to give up. And it's so worth it in the end. And you're, you know, this is a changing world. And this is a really important foundation to set for our kids as they grow older and then become more independent. So I really appreciate you saying that. And I really appreciate that you have resources and you provide support. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. You um, have a wonderful podcast and uh, programs and coaching and you offer therapy. So I guess the floor is yours. What would you say to people who are looking for support? Are there specific resources that you would point to as a starting place? Just in general, what would you say to people who are recognizing, I really need some more resources in order to kind of take the next steps here? Well, I think parents understanding what their preferred mode of learning is, is really important. So sometimes parents, like I'm a big book reader. So when I have a question or I need support, I tend to start out by seeing, okay, what's the best-selling book on this topic? And I kind of start there. Other parents will come to me and say, I don't want to read any books. Like I got enough to do in my day. I want you to just work with me individually, get to know my kids and my family and give me some recommendations that I can implement right now. So if that's the type of learning you are, then coaching or working with a therapist directly is going to be the best way to get started. The type of work I do, you know, I have an online webinar that gives a lot of information about different social media outlets. You could sign up for something like that. I know for me, sometimes I sign up for them and then I have a hard time coming back around. I've learned over time that that may not be the most preferred modality for me, but the one-on-one coaching is a really great resource because you can work with me or someone like me and you can modify the coaching to suit your family. Some parents will sign up for like just three sessions and we have a very kind of specific plan we go through to make sure parents have really concrete, usable, practical suggestions. Like I don't want parents to work with me and have us talk theoretically about technology. Like you need to be getting relief for your household. And then, and some parents decide they're just gonna do it as parents and work with me. Other times the whole family's included. So there's some opportunity there to get started with something and then make the intervention more nuanced depending on how your family responds. If you know your family's gonna do well working individually, like in person with a therapist, I really encourage parents to Google like addiction therapists. I mean, that's such a scary word. It really is. There's a, a therapist in my area here in Charlotte who works with addictions and she works with sexual addictions and screen addictions and gambling. And sometimes I have kids who are such extreme cases that I have them work with her and she sometimes actually gets them hooked up with like a day treatment or a residential facility. But I'll give parents her name and they'll Google her and they'll see sexual addiction and they're out because they're like, my kid's nine, my kid's 13. They don't have a sexual addiction. And I'm like, training in addiction is appropriate for what you're talking about. So it's really important you get in front of somebody who's trained. And so that's one thing that you can do it in your search. If you have, if you feel like your kids have a dependency on screens, they might not have an addiction, but working with somebody with that training is going to be really helpful to get to the heart of the problem. 
I think that's so important that you share that and you encourage people to think about that in that way. Because along this conversation that we've had today, I've been thinking it, what if you swapped out technology for food? What if you swapped out technology for relationships or for sex or for substances? Because a lot of what we're talking about here is I can't cope without this. I think having someone that um, has that empathy and has that knowledge base and is able to work with people in a way that's efficient and welcoming and supportive so that as a family, you, your children can maintain your self-esteem, maintain your self-respect and work through this together in a supportive way. It can really set an incredible foundation for your child and really change their trajectory of how they interact with things in this world, you know, that they have a, a healthier way of coping with stress or boredom or whatnot, rather than kind of just going down the easy path, becoming dependent on things that bring us those immediate gratification. I think it's tempting to avoid that language. It's we like, for example, throughout this podcast, we've said dependency. And although the word addiction has been brought up several times, like that is a more gentle way of saying, this is too much. Your kid's not handling this or your family isn't. This is something that's replacing real life contact with people and activities. This is contributing to anxiety or depression. Just like, as you mentioned, addiction to substances or or sex or whatever would do too. There's an element in which your, your life starts to become destructive. And it's so scary to think about when we've got this little kid who has got the world in front of them as far as potential. And they have all these strengths. They're smart, they're adorable, they're funny. You know, they're, they like to fish with their dad or they play with the dog and it doesn't take away any of those positive things. But I think that as parents, we can really do our kids a disservice but by not recognizing when we're seeing these characteristics. Because this isn't, doesn't make your kid bad or weak. This is something that happens because technology is so ubiquitous in our society and it really is designed to pull us in. It's, we just have to be fair to our kids. We have to stay abreast of it. I think of technology as like the same thing of handing your kid the car keys or you know, having them have some sort of new responsibility, like they have to understand how to use it responsibly. So they need extensive parental oversight. And then as they get older and older, you know, hopefully you can ease back a bit. And by the time you send them out to college or whatever their postgraduate life is, obviously the expectation is going to be that they're going to have to manage it on their own. But hopefully they've connected with friends. Maybe they have a a romantic partnership. Maybe they have great job prospects. You know, maybe they've really developed an interest in something artistic or into in sports or whatever, you know, had some balance. But there's times I think where parents think, oh, they'll mature and then they'll get it versus they can't get it because they're not mature. So you're responsible. This is such a wonderful, timely, important, needed conversation. Is there a final thought as we're wrapping up here? Anything that's top of mind or top of heart that you would like to share with our listeners before we part ways? I think probably the final thing I'd like to say is that I really acknowledge that everybody is doing their best. Like parents are doing their best. Kids are doing their best. 
I just want parents out there to take advantage of the resources. You know, we'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars on technology in our home by the time we have, everybody has their cell phone and we have the gaming system and we have the ring on our doorknob and we have our security system and our phone covers and our earbuds and all this stuff. And like, it's wonderful that we can provide these things for ourselves and our our families. But with that becomes the responsibility to dedicate some time and resources towards protecting these, protecting your kids' brains, protecting your family time and connection with other people. So there'll be times where somebody will be like, oh, I don't want to spend $150 on a therapist fees twice a month, or I don't want to have a $9.99 charge on my credit card every month to have this parental control app on my kid's phone. I beg parents to kind of put it in perspective of the amount of time and money you've invested in technology in your home. It's just like if you bought some really amazing car and then never spent the money to change the oil. Like we all would agree that would be foolish and wasteful. It's the same thing as with that all that privilege. We want to do the follow-up steps to have it used responsibly. And if it means taking that extra time, and I tell my kids, you can't have more apps because I don't have time to manage it. Like in order for us to be a responsible family, it's not just a matter of giving you the apps or educating you on what could go wrong. It also includes the monitoring. And so my kids know you kind of get one app that I'll monitor. Then that's it. So you choose which one. And then we're going to do that and we're going to do it right. And I want you to completely enjoy it. But we're not going to just pile stuff on top of our family life that can't be managed. And then we get in a pickle. I'm so grateful for your time and for everything that you've shared with us. And I want to stay connected. And I know there's others that want to stay connected and engaged with you too. So what are some of the best ways to stay in touch? And what's a great way to contact you? Well, the best way to get access to all the resources I have is to go to my website, which is www.drtaraegan.com. And from there, you can link up to a bunch of other stuff. You can link up to my podcast and subscribe. You can link up to my Charlotte Parent Coaching Therapist page. You can see the webinars. You can buy my books on Amazon. You can book a public speaking event for a favorite school or organization. So that's kind of the hub of where I keep information and then it sort of branches out from there. But I also really encourage you to join my Facebook page, which is just Dr. Tara Egan at Dr. Tara Egan and also Instagram. So that's a way to get updates on the free parenting webinars that are coming up, whatever the current episode is on the podcast. And it also gives people a chance to ask me questions directly or just you know, let me know what the needs are in the parenting world so that I can be as responsive as possible. If you have middle schoolers or high schoolers, I do have a free private Facebook group that has a really great group of supportive parents that can ask questions and we bounce ideas off each other. And that's called Adolescence, a Parent's Guide. And it's a support group for parents of high schoolers. So that would be a great thing to join too. Thank you so much for an incredibly timely, insightful, and meaningful conversation today, Tara. I appreciate you. We are so grateful and we look forward to staying connected. Thank you for having me. If you have a wellness topic that is important to you, let us know by visiting emergethriving.com forward slash podcast.